0: Welcome to Free for All, an episode by episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, senior lecturer in broadcast and creative media, and I'm also a prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer,
1: restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. <laughs> So, episode two. The Chimes of Big Ben. I think the first thing to say about this mm. is, is one of the glaring... It highlights one of the glaring problems of this, yes. isn't it? This is in no way the second episode no. of The Prisoner. And it makes no sense as the second episode of The Prisoner. No, it does not. Um, and the reason for this, and this is something we need to discuss, uh, this was actually the fifth episode to be shot. Weirdly, the one afterwards was Once Upon a Time, which is actually the penultimate episode. So why on earth did they
0: choose... I know. Because, Was it because they edited it first, or the others were a nightmare to ready. edit? I know Six of One Appreciation Society have created their own list, which puts this later on.
1: If you actually look at the shooting, the order they were produced yeah, makes, consi- makes perfect sense. All sorts of things indicate that this is a later one. He's got a... I think number two at one point says... Uh, but, when Nadia's brought in, ah, seems like old times. And, um, yeah, he's
0: very nostalgic, isn't
1: he? Yeah, he's obviously been here a while. And yes. He's, they were maybe sort of lengthening number six's stay by saying
0: by suggesting he'd been there a while. You see, personally, I would, have, I would have put this round about episode 15. Yeah? 14, 15. Because it makes sense from having Leo McKern also as number two. Yeah. And you can give him a three-episode run-out. They filmed once upon a time after
1: this, so he would have been a continuing number two. Mm. And it wouldn't have had any problem with his beard, which they may have done later well, on.
0: Interestingly enough, you, you know the original order the, yes. of the seven episodes? Yes. Arrival was obviously first. Then Free For All. Dance of the Dead. So those three make perfect sense. Yes. Because he it says, says in Dance of the Dead, I'm new here. Checkmate is episode four. Episode five is The Chimes of Big Ben. Mm. Episode six is Once Upon a Time. And episode seven is Fallout. Yeah, so that, that five, six, and seven from McGowan's original conceived order have Leo McKern as number two. Yeah, towards the end, so it does make more sense from McGowan's perspective. Originally, he had planned this to be later on in the series. Yeah, well, so it's it's an odd odd one, but it's a great episode, though, isn't it? To- it's
1: an absolute knockout. I think T- taking all that kind of stuff out, out of the background, the episode itself, I think, is a beaut. Um, I think the ending is one of the very best in the series. I've I've heard it's like sniffly kind of this kind of cop out endings, oh obviously we see when well, you know what's gonna happen at the end. I didn't.
0: No. At no, all. I, no, I didn't. In fact, I watched it last night with my partner and she didn't see that coming. No. At all. And the way it's pulled the way it's discovered, the the
1: opening of the drawer and there's the tape player and then the bus sound yeah. stops when it oh it's just and then you, you oh my god, he's. Oh, it's heartbreaking, and it is heartbreaking. And yeah. he looks heartbroken at the end of yeah. it. He just mopes out of there. Yeah. So in his little blue tracksuit, and he and he looks properly broken. Some episodes of the village it ends with
0: a sort of quasi-victory.
1: Yeah. Uh, or he's kind of he's had one on them, and so on. This
0: one, he's won a battle, but he hasn't won the war. Yeah, his
1: little, little victories. Mm. In this one, he
0: just looks for bollocks. Yeah. Um, it's a real gut punch isn't it yeah it's an odd it's an odd start this episode i find if you watch the first few shots yeah there's some really odd kind of editing and uh, cinematography choices it seems like a very bright episode did you find that well do you, do you notice as soon as it opens
1: there's this the zoom in which yeah. is quite shaky yeah and there's a few of them as well yeah, the and whole, the edits
0: are quite off as well
1: there's also quite a lot of slightly I wouldn't say dodgy but quite obviously fake set work going on with the beach yes and yes, things like that yes. um, but
0: again at the time you wouldn't really notice that no not watching it on the television black, black and, white and white tv and white, you know exactly <laughs> you, you can see those cloths sometimes especially when number six opens the door to his apartment now it's, it's clear that it's a, a like a panto cloth in the background <laughs> that's been painted <laughs> but on television you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it yeah. on a
1: small tv no, it's. Um, I, th- I, th- I thought it was just a a, a knockout. And there's, so, there's, there's, It's kind of a lot of it is to do with um, Vincent Tilsley. He must have been one of the most prolific writers in Britain at mm. the time. He must have had about 150 credits mm. before this. So he was uh, enormously respected. And I think his association with McGowan went back to something. that Sunday Night Theatre was something they used to put on very often live. Mm. So don't trip over your lines here, folks. (laughs) There's only about 7 million people watching. Tilsley wrote something with, I think it was his brother, Frank, called The Make Peace Story, Mm. uh, which McGowan was one of the leads. And I think that was one of the things that broke McGowan because this was back in 55, so we're going back a while. So Tilsley's somebody that McGowan would have known very well, I think, and respected and thought, we've got a a beauty of an episode here. He needs to escape and, uh, well, kind of escape. But anyway, (laughs)
0: you get on with it.
1: Who's the two? Well, let's start off with one of the great number twos, Leo McCurn.
0: So what do we know about Leo McCurn? We know he's a famous Australian actor. Indeed, sydney Bourne. Yeah. Um, famous in the UK, probably most famous for shows like Rumpole of the Bailey.
1: Well, that's his signature role,
0: I think. Yeah. If you go on Wikipedia, probably will say most, most recognised in Rumpole of the Bailey. Yeah. He
1: was, he was a very good Cromwell, wasn't he, in A uh, Man for All Seasons? Mm-hmm. Nicely Machiavellian,
0: and he is that kind of actor who turns up in some of those nineteen seventies uh, films, British films especially. Yeah,
1: he was very good in Day the Earth Caught Fire. The Day the Earth the Caught Fire, something like that, wasn't and, it? And he was he was a, the editor, wasn't he? And it was all very cinema verite. They, I think they were filming it in the actual offices of I think I think it may have been the Sun, but he was and he was had that, yeah that fantastic sort of bullish. Uh, don't-mess-with-me face.
0: Yeah. And and I th- just, I mean, before, like you say, Cromwell in Man for All Seasons, um, Help, of course, the Beatles film. Oh, yes. He was clang, wasn't he? He was the, the leader of the villains. He was. Trying to to cut the ring off Ringo of Star's finger. Hurled.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's, it, it, which is uh, of course rather it's in
1: questionable taste uh, for for modern viewing yes, yes, yes but uh, it is still very funny but he is a classic supporting actor isn't he a character mm. actor because a role like Rempol really just comes around once in a million years where the hero isn't mm. necessarily this big handsome yeah. chiseled jawed yeah. fellow it's actually this kind of
0: Arthur Lowe type and he's got this very it's face full of character, as well. Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, but it's despite that he's possessed of the great authority of immense intelligence. Yes, uh, yes. Which is very, which very hard try. to. And he does
0: that as number two.
1: Exactly, he brings yeah. that to that. But despite all the big bonhomie mm. and the, the jocular, the bear laugh, and everything like other, yeah, he did. Yeah, whimpering. Yes, uh, <laughs> but at the set, uh, but you, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit hard to get one past mm. this guy.
0: I mean, he had a, an extensive career. Uh, what?
1: Yeah but uh, i suppose uh, there's there's Rumpel, i think and then there's this hmm. i think he made such a huge impact hmm. as as in this role i've said before in, in most of the prisoner sort of uh, fan fiction and, and novels and everything it's his face mm. tends to be he's the defi- he is i think the like definitive in shattered, shattered, shattered visage yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if, Which you only, face to if at you're some point. unfamiliar with shattered Vision, i think it's a dc adaptation of mm. a continuation of the present storyline set in the 80s where a spy basically a- arrives at the village and it's in ruins isn't it yes it's and she meets number 6 who's still there bearded bearded and his nemesis number two the McKern version who's still there mm. and, and and of course it, it opens the story a little bit and explains the purpose of the village from this point of view which we won't go into because I don't want to spoil it for anybody no but it's, it's uh, an interesting take on what the village actually is what, what is quite funny um, is that, if you're familiar with Spotlights, the actors, yes. you know, where the casting directors go through, don't they, and look at actors and things like that, is that McKern and McGowan were next to each other in well, that, Spotlight for many, many years, despite having never met.
1: I was going to say, were they, were they friends? Well, there's that uh, anecdote that I think it's, I've spotted in a couple of books that when he met. yeah, McGuin <laughs> said, ah, oh, you're a funny little f- Aren't you? <laughs> and McKern was, like, "Oh, right, it's What's going to whatever. be that it's kind of relationship. relationship, Brilliant. <laughs> but they did become they did become very close. Mm. I think because um, you, on various documentaries, you always hear McGuinn speaking very warmly about Leo and wonderful actor. And I think they shared very similar ideas about the freedom of the individual. Mm. And uh, I think he got right into it pretty pretty quickly.
0: At the time of filming, McKern was on stage playing the lead in Volpone. I got the, the playbill from that that's, show.
1: Yes, that's on our Facebook page.
0: Yeah, have a look on Facebook. If you want to have a look, it's signed by the man himself. Mm. I, unfortunately, never got to meet him. But when they uh, obviously were looking at Spotlight and they saw this beardless McKern and they knew him sans beard, mm. not knowing or not realising he'd grown a beard for the play... And then, of course, he arrives on set for the first day and it's like, I I can't shave because it's my character for the play. So they're like, oh, we've just the art department tearing the hair out because they've created all these props for the art festival, the art show. Oh, <laughs> without a beard because if you know the scene in, in Charles Big Ben where the, the art show you've got the paintings the statue the oh so chest they had piece. to add a beard to all that stuff yeah plasticine beards to the, the chest piece and glaze over it add paint beards onto all those oh, paintings brilliant at very short notice to change the look of McCurn's character
1: do you think McCurn actually got to take any of that stuff home with him
0: as, as a Christmas gift? I would gift? love to think so.
1: Can you imagine that? Well, what else are they going to do with it? But really, what else? I mean, so, no, mate, sorry, we're going to need that massive tapestry uh, yeah, next week for an episode of The Protectors. I,
0: I'd like to think he, he was gifted. Yes, all of this. Because you couldn't really use it again, could you? You couldn't well, use no, those well, paintings. Well, again. <laughs> they have to be given away as some kind of souvenir.
1: Leo, this is for you. <laughs> it's a carpet, it's a tapestry, it's whatever you want it to be.
0: Very... Few props from the screen use props come up on eBay from the show.
1: I guess they probably
0: had a real tendency tendency to reuse a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I the, mean, I mean, I mean, things pop up, but there's no provenance to support the fact that they may or may not have been used on the show as well. Which is, you know, yeah. you don't want to spend thousands on on a prop and then, you know, not have any guarantee that it's a legitimate item from the show.
1: Yes. I've, it's quite. It's always nice when you go to the prisoner shop in Port Merion, I think they have a, some of those kind of, what do you call it, ribbed glasses with mm. a, with, a, with a hole in the middle of them that
0: we used. And you think it is quite nice to. Say, oh my God! About that, that's the real. it's yeah. the real thing. Yeah, it's. I, I like to think that McCoon was allowed to take home. Yeah, you know some what those paintings.
1: <laughs> the props, de- the props department are a little bit unhappy about this, Leo. But yes, you can have all this, since yeah. we're not going to be able to use <laughs> any of it ever, ever again. again. But uh, he deserved it. I think he was he was absolutely marvellous. Like a lot of kind of uh, spherical, thick-set people, uh, dare we say, he was also possessed of this strange, unexpected athleticism as well. Mm-hmm. He kind of he walks as if he was on springs. Mm-hmm. and He kind of bounds onto the podium when he's looking through the art mm-hmm. I- installation.
0: Oh yes. It is what it is. One thing I really like about his performance in this is his kind of swing from authority figure, there's a sinister side to him, but he also mellows and he also changes into this affable, like you say, bonhomie with number six. Yes. When he feels that number six is acquiescing to the task and making, you know, the, the, the art. Installation piece that he's going to well, go and uh,
1: work on as a, as a character over because he because he is in three episodes and I think that it's, that's a record for twos is it not? I'm trying yeah. to think of any other. I know Colin Gordon. Colin Gordon was
0: in two, wasn't he?
1: But yeah, so he he is actually well, certainly in the final episode. Mm. He has a complete switcheroo, but he has a, something of a
0: of an arc, mm. I guess, as a character. But if you view those episodes together as a Continuous piece. Yeah, it actually does make a lot of sense. If
1: people have to, you know, if prisoner fans have to pick out a number two, it's yeah. Leo McKern. Yes. and he
0: is—he's a wonderful antagonist it's because also, he reminds me so much in this episode of Matt Berry. He does. Yeah, and it's almost like even Matt, in, even in stature. Yeah, Matt Berry's almost carved a career out of number mm-hmm. two's portrayal in Toast. Yes, and, uh, what we do in the shadows. It's very kind of mccurn ish, isn't he? he is he's got the same sort of it's just everything's delightful
1: mm. and wonderful um, it's still that level of sinister
0: sinister below the surface
1: and it's, it, it, yeah, it's right, it's that combination of wonderful cuddly bonhomie mm. and there is a sinister side there whats he, what's, what's the line he says? You come whimpering. Yeah, me. whimpering. Yeah, and also there's an element of him. The, the scene where he says he accepts his position. Oh, I am. Uh, we're all lifers. That could all just be uh, p- a part of a trick to soften Number Six into.
0: But what is quite nice is that the McGowan obviously, uh, you know, gets involved with the process of the art show, yeah. and their relationship starts to build a little bit throughout mm. the episode, and you can see the softer side of, of Number Two's character coming out. Mm. You know, and there's, there's a lot more humour, and just, <laughs> ah, you can wink a blind uh, surveillance yes. eye. It's about yes, <laughs> and, uh, and it's quite. A ni- there's a nice little kind of rapport between the two. They 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 bond in that moment for a bit it was kind yeah. of kind uh, of all
1: right, don't, don't worry, I'll 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 let you off this once, and it's kind of well, all right, th- th- you've, well you're complicit now a little bit. We can be pals somewhat.
0: But he is, as we find out in in Once Upon a Time, he's the closest thing to a nemesis mm. as a character because of that double header at the end where they go head to head. Yeah. And only one will come out. You know, he's he represents the village, but he also represents there's, there's a lot of Magoon's character in McCurn's character as well. Yes. But similar backgrounds, similar as you say, you know, we're both lifers except he's accepted the position. He's yes. Accepted that kind of responsibility. And Magoon won't. No. But he's I suppose I mean again leaping forward
1: a little bit to a, a later episode, he's under surveillance himself yes. number two so he's he's the most complicated of the number twos mm. i think he's the only one who's actually a character he doesn't just embody authority but he
0: becomes complicit in the escape exactly yeah so, design, so he?
1: he's 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 probably this episode does feature possibly the best number two, number two. Yeah. so for that alone it's uh, it's it's worth its weight in uh, in gold
0: But not only uh, do we have Leo McKern, we've got some notable guest stars in this episode. Christopher Benjamin returns, indeed, which I didn't spot. Potter, yes, Benjamin that character. But also as Finlay Curry um, appears. Oh, that's you know, what I do in my army. For me, he will always be Councillor the from <laughs> John Schlesinger's uh, Billy Liar. Yes, you know, oh, my day, you know, what those calendars loved, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, he's he's the ultimate in my day actor. Yeah. He was probably only about 30, <laughs> but, uh, like all these actors. As we've uh, established. Yeah, Peter Swanwick was only, like, 46 that's, when, that's, when he was performing as, as supervisor. It's, it's crazy how we kind of see, you know, age kind of represented back in the 60s and the 1950s. Well, they,
1: had, they, they would have eaten garbage, I mean, mostly.
0: Yeah, they, yeah. They <laughs> and, of course, coming from a war as well, 20 years previously, a lot of these people would have been active, you know, active service. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've. That's always
1: in my, in my mind. It's made, made them a little bit more instantly fascinating because mm. you, you kind of know you can see, you can see them in the way they, suddenly in their eyes that they have a world s- weariness. Yeah, and bit, but it's genuine. Yeah. you see this in a lot of sort of uh, 50s film noir and actors like Lee Marvin and stuff. They're mm. not faking anything. No, and you can't do it now a little bit because no. you know these actors. The worst thing they've ever had to put up with yeah. is, is a, is a bad drama teacher. Yes. But these actors from this this period, they've all got something in their gaze yeah. that says, you know, I've, i i i you don't have to explain anything to me, sunshine. I've seen it all. The,
0: the tea. Yes. Yes. I know the, you want to talk about the tea I, I, of tea. I love the tea. And of course, being Brits, tea is part of our natural makeup, our culture. Yes. Because number two, it, it, on his right, looks at the record and says, Ah, you don't take any sugar in your tea.
1: Mm. So uh, obviously Guy Dolman's forgotten to put that in, yeah. or he scratched it out.
0: Uh, uh, and he said, "I know you don't take sugar in your tea," and then, as an act of defiance, he mm. puts two and then a third.
1: Yes, with a little lovely musical note as well.
0: Yeah. And you can just see Number Two's face—the anger. Yeah. You know. <laughs> whether Everything... he's doing that on purpose or whether he's just to, uh, you know.
1: but that's a lovely. Everything he does is an act of defiance. Yeah. And it's true, but that's 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 his job, isn't it? Number yeah. Six. Enter Nadia. Hmm. Who hmm. is um, Nadia Gray? Very, very, well, famous actress. She was in some f- good stuff. She was yeah. in La Dolce she Vita. She was a name, wasn't she? She, was a,
0: she was a, would have been a pretty big name, particularly in Europe, I think. Yeah. Perhaps Which is look- a, maybe another possible reason why this episode was screened in second place is because it's in a, on a promotional level. It's got McKern, it's got Nadia Gray. You can sell that. Yeah. You know, and it's. You've got the first episode, you want to. Can, you know, keep your audience. Maybe not throw them straight into free for all, which mm. might put some people off with the political. Um, elements well, of free it. for
1: all and and dance of the dead were both kind of unremittingly bleak. Yeah, and I think yeah, Patrick would have put him. Uh, so, oh God, this you is want a strong much.
0: episode for your second episode because mm. you want to keep your audience, don't you? You want to kind of grab them and keep them. Yeah, and and I think maybe that's the decision. That the decision was partly made because of that.
1: It makes sense. It's weirdly, I mean, after all these years, it really does feel like a second episode. Mm. It's just all the tiny little parts.
0: Maybe because we're used to it being a second episode.
1: Yeah, it kind of. It's, it's by now, it almost feels like the track listing of a Beatles album. Yeah. If, um, if you play it out of order, it's wrong. Yeah. If you put Blackbird as track two on the on on the, the white no 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 no, yeah, no, 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 that's that's wrong. So Nadia arrives, mm. and it's all a bit of a, a deliberate play. maybe. A, This kind of works with it being close to the original as well, in that everything that happens to her that he makes number six uh, witness is all the stuff that's happened to him.
0: There there are some contradictions, though, I find. When Nadia starts to swim, number two is alone and makes that that comment, uh, Olympic swimmer. Get her on monitor. He has no audience. If number six was there, it would make more sense, but he doesn't. He says, oh, let's see what she's up to. Right, get Rover to bring her back in, mm. which is a bit of a contradiction because if she's complicit, why would he have that conversation with himself with no audience, only the TV audience, only the home audience, uh, only the pe- and the supervisor? The only people who are complicit within that that scene
1: does that imply possibly that she's not complicit at that point? Could be that, that maybe they get her in the hospital.
0: It's possible, but then again, then, out, then, but then again, to be honest, at the, at the end, she's quite clearly but you from a, from Tilsley's perspective he wants you to have empathy with Nadia. Yeah. He wants you to feel that sadness, that helplessness, that frustration of of arriving in the village just like Number 6 did. Yeah. And and you want to trust her because if you don't trust her you know something's going to slip up along the way. Yeah. So maybe that was the conceit was for that reason alone maybe.
1: It's still shoddy storytelling.
0: I just, I just find it's an odd one where it's like that scene where he says, "Oh, she's an Olympic swimmer. Let's get her on on radar." She's trying to swim out, get Rover to bring her in. Yeah, I think possibly that. They thought we could. Should we refilm
1: this with with Pat here? Yeah. Oh God, no. He's no. Let's just put it in. Maybe just have it, Leo say. It. But
0: without that scene, we wouldn't have Rover and the two <laughs> yes. little Rover kind of extensions. Yes, I mean how Rover works,
1: God, no. I mean, yeah. uh, presumably by the time her face will have been suffocated by yeah. being sort of pressed down on that in the water. So how on earth that kept her alive? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the two uh, the twin wheels, which may, do make it look a little bit like a Penny Farthing.
0: But how else would you bring bring her back to shore? Well, precisely, yeah. Unless you don't, unless you don't shoot that scene, and the next scene is these, you know, the ambulance people taking her, putting her on the, the gurney. They could have just cut Leave the that stretch. to your imagination. Yeah. There was a, a bit of again
1: going back to like Guy Dolman with the um, the body doubling and stuff mm-hmm. like that. A Bit of issues with Nadia Grey when she's actually put on this stretcher and everything. That's not her. Mm-hmm. Well, they do, she never actually went to Port Merion, so all the bits. Oh, number, s- number six is wood, one. Yeah, yeah. So it was actually an act—a local actress mm. uh, called Helwyn Vaughn Hatcher. Oh, did and she did the swimming. Yeah, and also worked in the prisoner shop.
0: Oh, that's a nice that's for big. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I do like this this scene where he um, he takes on the mantle of authority with Nadia. Yeah, I always like to impress her a little mm. bit, or maybe he's just playing a get a little game with her just to kind of to see where her allegiances lie. Yeah, I think I think it's it's only really that
1: bit where he's in the, in the hospital he says let her go, let her go. Hmm. Uh, he kind of uh, he's he's he like, I, I I accept uh, she's yeah. she's genuine, but up until then he wouldn't have trusted her.
0: But that's that's quite interesting because that scene is, is is this kind of almost Pavlovian experiment, isn't it? There? There's like a conditioning, you know. They have set her up. Why did they do that? Why have they set her up with this electrocuted floor and this bowl of water? And she's like, oh, she's never got it. I think she's going to make it. And she's, it's like, she's like a rat in a, in a maze. Yeah. She's solving that problem. But, of course, she can actually die. And when she decides to go, you know, well, clearly is that we now, from the end of the episode, that's actually staged, but it's quite convincing. Oh, yeah. Do you reckon these things, like... Maybe number two wasn't actually in on it in order to sell the conceit to number six. Well, he does look pretty... Plausible uh... deniability, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, maybe we'll, we'll explain for that scene I was talking about where he talks about her being an Olympic swimmer maybe he's not aware that she's complicit until later in the episode ah well I think at the end
1: she does doesn't she say so if I told you it wouldn't work Hmm. or does he say that it was you know it it was a I thought you know maybe or I you know it was a good idea not your Hmm. fault yes I'll put it in my report so perhaps, perhaps yeah maybe maybe this could have all happened complicity could have started in a hospital maybe maybe again a little bit of vagary. It never, a bit of vagary never, never hurts an episode of The Prisoner, I don't think. No.
0: There's another nice little scene here where um, it convinces Number Six to take part in the arts festival. Mm. So it's a very elaborate yeah. thing. Because they, they are not, th- th- there's a lot of questions in this episode. And I know questions are a burden. <laughs> <laughs> but He's going to construct something. But they don't know he's going to construct a means of escape. So what was their original goal? Just for him, was it basically to form a relationship with Nadia? She would be the love interest that would like get the secrets out of him by gaining his trust and love, mm. and that was the the idea. And the fact that he's created this was something that was never seen by the village. That they were kind of like, "Oh, let's see where this is going," because it's his idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a, as a yeah, as a uh, yeah, no, you're right. I just, I mean, it kind of there's an enjoyable amount of sort of scepticism about modern art in there. Mm, it, yes, they seem to yes. be a bit of a nice kind of it commentary. Is what, what it, it is. is. It is what it is. Brilliant. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't. But
0: <laughs> what I love about that modern art satire is that everything in the art show is number two.
1: Yes, but that's a sort of kind of Maoist, right. Stalin-esque it? sort well, of...
0: In my notes, I've said, well, is this sycophantic... Are they scared of number two? So they, or are they trying to curry favour with number two by creating it about him, so he will dame them with his good wishes? And oh, I, I,
1: I thought it was going to. It's just basically all, all that sort of art propaganda from the sort yeah, of, from yeah, the twentieth yeah. century it was all had sort of the glorious leader in yeah. um
0: Well, it could be, yeah. I'm
1: but I mean, the, maybe it's tilsley has a sort of uh, just can't stand modern art. But it's funny, isn't it? It is very funny because everything, even the chess piece. Yeah. is number two and then there's one thing i don't understand where's number two yeah.
0: <laughs> this is my only line of dialogue but there's a lovely framing of number six's kind of out piece, where yes. you can see number two through the the hole at the end and that's that's the lovely
1: shot i suspect this might be one of those episodes where the logic crumbles if you mm-hmm. kind of uh, look into uh, it
0: too you, deeply. yeah yeah absolutely
1: because you're absolutely right i mean there's <laughs> I'll make you. I'm going to fine. I'll make you an abstract piece of art. Obviously, I'm going to try and escape using it. Uh, no, that that doesn't. They work can't. At all. They,
0: they can't have factored that in unless they brainwashed him.
1: He could have. He could have done a, a tea towel. Yeah, and you know that's.
0: I I think genuinely they just wanted Nadia to be a love interest that he would confide in, and that was the, that was the goal. Mm. But she talks about initiates an escape, doesn't she? She says yeah, we're in the. You know, we're near Lithuania. We can. You know, isn't there a? Um
1: there's a sort of look on Peter Swannick's face when he does escape. There's a sort of smile. It's all going according to plan. Yeah. I don't know if that's because they were just using the same footage.
0: Maybe, <laughs> maybe going back to the chess um, metaphor, is the villager already two, three, four, five steps ahead in what will number six do? Mm. Will he create a tea towel, like you said? Yes. Or will he create a method of escape? And try and counter that way, or will he do this, or will he do that? And if he does that, then what? Then what? Then what? Yeah. Like these, multi- like a multiverse. Well, it's t- branches. It's t- it is telling when he's playing
1: chess with the general that he's uh, playing it very well.
0: Mm. His mind's on other things. Yeah,
1: sorry, I'm, I'm not
0: I'm not at my best. Mm. So yeah, I mean, that's which is a nice metaphor then for what happens at the end. Yeah, it's because he hasn't foreseen the end result. He hasn't. Re- yeah, he
1: hasn't realised that they're actually eight steps ahead.
0: Yeah, but maybe they've they've already planned for contingency. In various ways, hmm. you know, and maybe if he hadn't built that boat, Nadia would have maybe, like you know, given the electropass or maybe there's a secret tunnel out of here, or there might have been all these. You know, we can we can speculate until the cows come home, can't we? But no, no, it's there, a, it's there are a, some logical flaws.
1: It's no, it's a very very good point. Does the famous alternative? episode with this extra scene hmm. this make any more sense where oh, he's, he's using a the
0: tri, triquetrum isn't it the, yes
1: and he's trying to work out where the village is
0: use, and, and there's like a little kind of voice over tri, Yeah, know, yeah, an ancient way of looking at the stars
1: there was a funny thing about the stars apparently they were borrowed from um, 2001. Ah, right, okay. I'm not sure Kubrick knew. Oh, because <laughs> they were filming around the corner, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need a space uh, something or other. Um, could we borrow that? So the stars <laughs> thing that you see in those scenes were the same stars that you see in 2001. Well, um, just at the hospital scene, yeah. number two has a dictaphone, talks into a very small little box. Well, he does that when he kind of, doesn't he do that when he's amending Six's reports?
0: Yeah. But of course, the, that technology didn't exist. Did not? Not that size. I mean, you would have the, those kind of portable, audio, you know, of course, but nothing that size would have been. Where would you store the tape within that? It's, it's clearly a science fiction concept, ah. isn't it? A small device. I mean, we have them now, but at the time... Do you know, I thought we had them then. No, not, those, not of those, that kind of style design. Uh, you had them in the 80s. Were think, where would you put the battery? Where would you put the, the tape within it? I well. think they had
1: them in, st- in like episodes of Columbo and stuff like that. with, you know, with yeah, the tiny not, cassette. Not, but not here. No, 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 no. Not no, no that no. size.
0: No, no, no. Very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. But we just take them for granted now. We take some of these props for granted because the technology is, is here now. Yeah. Must have had sense of humour. What I like about this episode, there's a lot of relationship building, not only with Nadia and number six. Mm. And there's, there's an affection. There. Yes, she arrives at his, uh, you know, his flat one morning, and you know he's making breakfast, and there's this lovely scene with them, and he's clearly enjoying her company, mm. and he's starting to soften with number two as well. They share laughs together. They, he's very amicable with him. Obviously, we know he's just well, playing a role. But
1: the, what's the what's the line when number two leaves and he's in the forest, and he says, "Not for long." Yeah. So it's yeah. it's all it's all kind of surface bonhomie, yeah. but at the same time, it's. And there is, that, I, there that, is respect there. There is respect. And I think that's that's in a way that's kind of, you know, if you were going to be all sort of Millicent Marxist about it, that's yeah. how they get you, by being nice and, yes. and everything. Actually, do you know what? It's not
0: so bad. <laughs> One other thing I noticed is um, the modern art. We were talking about modern art. Mm. And a lot of modern art is, is down to interpretation. Yes. And, and it's like, you can go in there. And I remember going to the Tate Modern once and seeing a pot noodle painted white and chopped in half on a plinth. Genius. Yeah, and you know somebody might want to pay twenty thousand pounds for that piece of art, <laughs> and they might interpret it in a in a certain way. I mean, a lot of Yoko Ono's um, work was you know like an apple on a plinth and things like that, and, or things like the famous story of the, the yes, yes with yes you know it's it's interpretive and it's what it means to you. But I thought that's quite a lovely metaphor for the show itself. Yeah, you know it's it is interpretive and it is a piece of modern art. Yeah. I in itself.
1: In itself, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And then they have the uh, the famous scene outside Number Six's house, where it's all a little bit Lady and the Tramp. Mm. He does everything but nudge a meatball towards her. <laughs> yeah. And it's this is quite famous. It's kind of a famous scene for mainly because what doesn't happen which is uh, he smooches her or anything like that but, he's, that but he's doing that as
0: a cover isn't he he is doing it's that an act
1: I read something I don't know if this is true at all that uh, Nadia was actually body doubled by McGowan's daughter
0: yes I yes I did that as well
1: as a way to sort of uh, to, to completely syringe any uh, romantic sort of uh, anything something out of it
0: something he knew and was comfortable with
1: yes that he, as, a, as a strict Catholic he wasn't mm-hmm. actually prepared even to sort of comb her hair or anything like yeah. that but so yeah. he's his it's such a wig scene where she says uh oh, do i want to hear the chimes of big bill mm. big ben you mean and you think big bill a, a child in the middle of yeah. africa knows what big ben is that you you're clearly a a government agent of some kind otherwise you wouldn't be here and you don't know
0: what big ben but, is but to be fair though in in some countries you know things are given different names uh really yeah so, you know, like um, Laurel and Hardy, the Germans call them dick and doof. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, dick and doof. So it's like we just assume that everybody uses the same terminology across the globe, and they don't. Ah, you see? So I just thought Big and, and Sarah, well, big wonder, Ben... Because in some, some countries, in some cultures, certain words have different meanings. So maybe that was, you know, I, I'd forgive that as a cultural difference. She says Big Bill.
1: Ah, I just—I always thought there was a bit of a bit of overwriting. Maybe uh, and, it, could and, be. it could Well, be. I don't know. It's—it's. It's, um, I just kind of thought. Surely you'd know mm. what Big Ben is. It's, just, it's the fact that she's clearly somebody of intelligence, mm. of gov- like literal government yeah. intelligence. They, they'd all know. They'd all know. Mm. That—that's—that's that's item one. Maybe it's
0: designed. It's intentional to to create endearance. Yeah, to make us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's endearing herself by saying these silly things.
1: Well, it does get, it's quite nice because. He that, is protective. He is. And it's quite nice the way that she's able then to call him Bill. Yeah. And to give, give him a name rather yes. than a number.
0: Yes. And that's probably the intention hmm. because he, he, she's not going to keep calling him number six. And she's like, Big Ben, Bill. He,
1: I don't think he ever refers to her as. He, he calls her
0: Nadia, Nadia, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she doesn't. But there's that that lovely interplay. I mean, clearly, and um, the load onto the truck at the English countryside. Or well, as you can see <laughs> yes. uh, it's not Lithuania or Poland. But that interplay. Between that, is there any? Do you have a wife? Are you engaged? Yeah, so go, like, go to sleep. Go <laughs> sleep. <laughs> which are quite nice little moments, a, a nice little character building moments of their relationship as well, mm. which makes even the ending even more of a yeah. A, 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 oh, it's a wrench. Yeah. Because you actually feel he's found somebody in the village that is on his level. Mm. And somebody, he's not alone anymore.
1: Their relationship, we don't even know it's fake. And it is
0: lovely. Yeah, a genuine relationship, even though it's not a genuine relationship. Yeah. So no, it's, it's like he's been catfished, to use a modern <laughs> parlance. And they nearly get it. Yeah. They're one chime away. And he could he could have actually broken in that
1: uh, scene, couldn't he? What is, it's the only time in the whole series where they actually use love. Mm. And you think, well, that's in, in Le Carre, mm. that was a standard thing. Let's let let's let's break his heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's usually the downfall of them. Yeah, because they're in love or it's fake love and it, yeah. they've been had. Yeah, it's a classic thing. But in this series, this is the only time they they yeah. try it. Yeah. yeah, and 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 yeah, tellingly, it's probably the closest they get to to breaking him
0: because he he actually starts to explain why. Mm. If they timed it
1: for a long time now. <laughs>
0: And it's such, a, it's such a
1: brilliant... And it's a great bit of Magoo acting. Yeah. A matter of conscience. Yes. So we get that far. Yeah. And it's just a fantastic... It's the whole... You stop breathing for a second. Yeah. What, 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 what? What is it? And then search and then plug. Ah. Oh.
0: So one thing I, I've been reading up and I thought was quite interesting is that the, it doesn't appear to be at this point in production, episode five in the production order... A show bible, oh, really? Yeah, or a, a format document. I think, as what they would have called it in Britain in the in the nineteen sixties. But today we now know it's a show bible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're vital. I think McGuinn didn't. Well, he brought all that stuff in initially to see uh, to show Lou Grade, hmm. this vast kind of yeah. pile of pages and handwritten demented notes, um, and he would just tell me about it <laughs> with a <the> cigar, <laughs> with his colossal cigar. <laughs> put it all away. It's enough for me, Patrick. Yes, I'm doing something with the Muppets next. <laughs> Maybe that was what Patrick would has showed everybody.
0: This is what it's going to be. Mm. So, uh, I suppose for the benefit of our listeners, uh, a show bible.
1: Yes, I think every every new series or concept that's 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 mooted will have what is known as a show bible, which just sets out everything that the show is about and most shows are yeah. all written by different scriptwriters who get hired to write different episodes and um, if you
0: come in as a scriptwriter you need to have some kind of guide as to what you're writing for because you might not have seen the show you might not be familiar with its lore or mythology and you need to have some kind of pointers i mean you might have watched three or four episodes but you know if that show's been running for a long time you need to have more background detail and and you know it will flesh that out in the show bible you yeah. know has two sisters and a brother you know, never mentions this or doesn't like white wine or whatever, very specific things. <laughs> like Captain Picard, you know, Earl Grey tea and has a goldfish. That a writer could include, I yeah. suppose.
1: So what did they tell Vincent Tilsley when they asked him to write an episode?
0: <laughs> well, Mark Stein basically just let him look at the scripts for Arrival. And that's the best he could do. <laughs> but, right. But this is quite interesting because um, in, in an upcoming episode where we interview a... Uh, an actor who worked on the show also had the same problem, in that this actor basically didn't know what it was about, and, <laughs> <laughs> and neither,
1: neither did the, did the director. director. Um, <laughs> yeah, the director. What are we what also. Are he doing, love? <laughs> yeah, I have, I have no, no idea. idea.
0: Famous uh, story of this director telling the actor to go and have breakfast, and he go and watch Arrival. and when he came back, he went, "Well, still no idea." No idea. <laughs> no idea. Uh, but we'll we'll let that actor speak for themselves in a in a future episode. Indeed.
1: I think at some point, I'm, I've, I have read somewhere that, um, that David Tomblin and Markstein and Magoon did eventually get a semblance mm. of, of a show Bible together.
0: Maybe because there was only seven episodes initially proposed by Magoon, he didn't see the point in creating a show Bible or a format document. Maybe yeah. he, he just thought, well, I'm going to write it. A few of these. Just ask me. Just, yeah, exactly. But then, of course, Lou Gray basically said, you know, we need to syndicate this. We need to sell it overseas. We need more episodes. Yes. So Compromise being 17. Well, I think it was, 20, it was 26
1: initially he asked for, wasn't yeah. it? I think that was the magic 26 number. 26
0: fits in with, with syndication. Yeah. To, you know, you get four scenes, you've got 100 episodes, you can syndicate. But...
1: There's no way
0: they could have stretched this.
1: No. I think at some point Mark Steen was talking about fleshing it out by having him actually escape. Mm. Uh, maybe that could have been the uh, what they were going to do with... And, and, and then yeah, and then even he was saying, well, this this, this makes no." The Chimes of Big Ben, it should be said, is not one of those filler episodes. Mm. I think this has always been something that McGuin has stated. But there's this line here from the a little chap. My dear chap, of course I know too much. We're both lifers. Well, I am definitely an optimist, and that's why it doesn't matter. And he t- starts talking about both sides becoming identical. Mm. And he's thinking... Is, maybe he's just a little bit naive at this point. Maybe he, he because he is, and he, he's an, an acceptor of things. He doesn't quite see the sinisterness yet. He doesn't quite realize just how.
0: But he's only on one side of the, of the fence, isn't he? He's on the, the warden's side of the fence.
1: He is, but I think he sees it. as a, I think he genuinely believes it. when I mean, He's saying sort of uh, when both sides are facing each other, suddenly they realise they're looking into a mirror and they'll see that this is the pattern for the future. I think it's, it's mm. he's got that sort of, no, 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 you don't understand. This is wonderful.
0: But that you said there about the pattern of this this pattern this global pattern. Yes. Kind of allusions there towards what was happening in Britain at the time leading in towards application to join oh the uh, the, the common Europe, it was the common market, market as it European was yes. economic community wasn't it EEC? Yes. We, I think
1: we applied didn't we in like 67 I th- it I mean, was 66
0: Charles de Gaulle knocked Britain's application back. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to wait till 73. Is it, 73? it, was it 73?
1: Yeah, seventy-three, and then there was a referendum. I think yeah. we we went in in seventy-three, but there was a referendum to seal the deal in seventy-five. I think.
0: But that's you know that that kind of vision for the EU, the EEC. Like that would be very world. much uh,
1: in, in in the air. Everyone talking about mm. it is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And it was quite interesting because you a little bit surprisingly have sort of, the, uh, sort of people like Tony Benn and there are quite a few other sort of. Mm. Uh, on the left, who were very much against it, mm. and it wasn't quite as cut and dry as you'd imagine. Mm. So there was, and it's it, that's an interesting take, actually, because you're thinking: is, does Magoon see it as a good thing, mm. or if he if is is this just a, an accident? <laughs> number
0: six of Brexiteers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, but you kind of think: well, is it, if this is a, some kind of parallel? Do you think? is he for it is he against it is he, is he in, his, in his usual ways He's just questioning
0: it if this episode had allowed number six to go to London mm. and of course there's a surprise the reveal and he's in London and the British are complicit in that scam then it suggests that the Britain are running the village or they're complicit with running the village yes but of course they don't do that they show to great and it's a better I think it's a better reveal where those doors open and he's never left the village yeah because then it keeps it ambiguous. But as yes. num- number two says, it doesn't really matter who's running the village.
1: It doesn't matter who number one is. He no. says, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. But it's also, I mean, it kind of leaves the door open for. But then again, when he does get back into the fake office, they're waiting for him are. Uh... People he knows, yes. people he has been working for. Okay. Father Fotheringay. <laughs> Fotheringay. Um, <laughs> both actors who were in Danger Man as well. Mm. Kevin Stoney. Yeah.
0: Uh, and Richard Wattis as Fotheringay.
1: Indeed. but there was um, So that's, that throws up more and more questions, doesn't it? Mm. If people he knows and have worked for and are basically his employers, his previous employers, are complicit in the village.
0: But that's a way of getting out of it. That's a way of allowing those characters to be part of the story and to still cast this dark light on his workmates or colleagues without saying the British are aware of what's happening or his department are aware there's these people within it who maybe have infiltrated... Well, his, like department, double his, his
1: department might not know anything about it, but yeah. these two... yes It needn't necessarily be the department that he was working for. Mm. Uh, they, 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 maybe they don't know anything about this at all, but these two are double agents.
0: Yeah, But in Many Happy Returns, we meet other characters, don't we, that number six is working for? Yes, yes. Who, in a different office, different situation, um, there's no repetition of those characters, which is interesting as well because, you know, if these are people who are handling his return... The Colonel and Fotheringay, Why don't they appear in Many Happy Returns, where we have uh, Donald Sinden's character?
1: Yes, and Patrick Cargill. Uh,
0: but he, yeah, that—that's. Yeah, I mean, we'll obviously we'll come to that when we get to Many Happy Returns. That duality of the number two.
1: Yes. Well, we'll have to look into when whether that was filmed before Hammer into Anvil mm. or after, or where, that, whether it was simply a matter of well, Cargill's around and we that, need some. That raises an
0: interesting question. If this is taking place as a metaphor or mm. an, sorry, an allegory. Then it's almost like a dream. It's that like you're casting characters and situations from your own experience? So he's taking a face from somebody he doesn't like and applying it to a number two. Mm. That's in in his mind in his head. I'd, I'd, you know, if that's one interpretation of it, I'm sure
1: somebody has written must have probably. Written an, well, I'm sure, somebody's written an absolutely amazing. Yeah, thesis, uh, on thesis that. about yeah. the fact that it's just a dream and I bet, I bet you whoever, well, I, whoever's no, done I has has it has managed a, to make a, that work really well a dream doesn't
0: do it, do it justice really well oh, no, no
1: not so much it's, like, it's, and it it's was an all individual's
0: dream. perspective yeah, yeah but a, a fantastical individual perspective of reality mm. like solecism like the Truman Show isn't it you believe you're the only person in the universe and everybody else is a construct designed to facilitate your
1: ah, yeah, they kind of it, being they call it Trumpism now <laughs> yes. Next week on politics.
0: Yeah. But yeah, Truman Show is is um a, a solecism kind of allegory yeah. as well, isn't it? I I think the Truman Show is a, is a better modern day version of the prisoner. Yes, because it it deals with themes that are relevant for the time. Like reality TV shows yes, yeah. and capitalism gone crazy ratings rather over human lives you got the marxism element in there as well haven't you
1: yes it's interesting <laughs> to say well it doesn't date and i don't think i don't think the prisoner does it's it's, it's either the most 60s thing ever or yeah. it's timeless yeah and i think the last time I, I used to think it was the most 60s thing occasionally they, like in this episode you know the bit where he's actually building the uh the boat yeah and there's a strange kind of I think maybe the only time they use it is saying it's, like it's like a slightly very sixties. Yeah.
0: But let's talk about that scene where he's. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I always feel a little bit guilty at laughing at <laughs> that the appalling stock footage of the, of the, the tree of, f- of being fell, yeah. the immensely thin tree being felled, which is, cause but, could at no way But the, the speed in which that's hollowed out <laughs> to form a boat with base with. Very basic. I mean, that would have taken him days to do that. Oh, yes. Realistically with what he had. But, of course, it's like, chink, 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 chink. And the next thing he's built. He's built a poet. And I'm sure it's not seaworthy. So this is episode five out of 17 in production order. But being episode five, this was Don Chaffee's final episode. Yes. In chronological production order.
1: I think he was... Because he was one of the few directors who actually shot in Port Merion. Mm. I've read, by this point, McGoon was actually directing a lot of the stuff that was in, in the soundstage. Mm. But Chaffee was still getting credit for it. And I think their relationship was getting a little bit tense. Right, yeah. It wasn't irreconcilable. I think um, Chaffee spoke in the past about, oh, it was fine, it's just one of those things, what a marvellous thing to be associated with, and it was great. We had a good time working. But I think... Uh, Magoon was starting to sort of flex his muscles a little bit and it was getting a little bit... Um, I suppose it would have been a little bit hard for any, any director on this because you are directing one man's singular vision.
0: Yes. With apologies to George and, Markstein. And I think from McGuin's perspective, he knows he can't do this on his own. Mm. He needs the best people around him and people he's worked well, with.
1: I think he, he would have been responsible for putting together a lot of the, 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 the team that built this. Yeah. Um, but
0: I think as time goes on, he becomes more and more invested and more and more controlling over the project. Yes, and and it becomes this kind of singular vision. And some people have actually said who worked on the show, you know, he they almost considered him almost mad because he, he was taking over so much. And
1: well, there are stories certainly much later into the into the production of um, yeah, he was getting increasingly hard to work with. A lot of actors mm-hmm. uh, struggled. And I think Chaffee may be one of the casualties of that.
0: But he moved between television and film. He did fifteen episodes of Secret Agent. Was that quite I mean, it's, I it's, don't think that no, I don't think that was a common thing. No,
1: I, it's there was still very much a sort of a, a snooty It's a class. Oh, that's isn't a bit it? of telly. Yes. We'll oh a, love. No, yes.
0: I'm I'm doing this in the West End for six weeks <laughs> and then I'm doing a bit of telly. Pardon? <laughs> I'm doing A bit of telly. Bit of telly, you know, it was looked down upon. Was oh, not it? The cinema film? Was the
1: you want to be Benadour. a fil- film director?
0: But but to for Chaffee to kind of go from Jason and the Argonauts, you know, quite a mix. Uh, this variation from film to television, yeah, back to film, which is really
1: unheard of. I was gu- I was going to ask you whether this was unusual or not, or if because it, um, it just it seemed it. It's it. Seemed, when, remember. Remember, no, because of Jason and the Argonauts in A Million Years B.C., mm. I knew the name Don Chaffee. Yeah. And then even back then when I first started watching The Prisoner, when it came up, directed by Don Chaffee, I thought, wow, that's, that's a bit of a coup. Yeah. Uh, and he made... Did he do four He did uh, four episodes? episodes, yeah. So should, yeah. do you think he should get a bit more
0: credit? I think so. With
1: shaping so much of...
0: Well, considering that the f- four episodes he directed were Arrival, mm. Chimes of Big Ben, Dance of the Dead... And Checkmate, which are four of the original seven.
1: Yes, and all knockouts.
0: Yeah. But then again, Magoo and working with him on uh, Thomasina, you know, they must have become quite good friends. I'm doing this project. I want you to come and direct. I want want the best, and the best is you, Don. You know, and he's got somebody who can quite happily work within the confines of television and cinema and bringing a cinematic feel to the televisual process as well.
1: Yes, and this was cinematic. This was shot mm. in thirty-five, wasn't it? Yes. So this wasn't run, run of the
0: mill. No, no, no. This wasn't like videotape or, or 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 well, you know, the film—sixteen millimeter film, I think maybe was used at the time on standard. The classic Monty Python sketches uh, yes. well, were on film. <laughs> you know, there was you know there was good quality stock used, as as you can see now when you see it in high definition.
1: Yeah, I was going to say one of the when you see it in Blu-ray, it's just. Kind of. But then, when you see a lot of um, other stuff from the time on Blu-ray, it's sort of well, it's just seemed a bit sharper. There was something when it, that first shot of Number Six's face, hmm. driving da, da, da yeah. and the blue behind him is like, what is that? That was dark grey yeah. on my video. I've never seen. I've, it was one of the most amazing transformations mm. from my memory of it as a teenager to seeing it so fresh and crisp. Well, the time has come to uh, give an our scores. I, I'd say this is a firm five.
0: I, I'm going to give it five and a half. Yes. Yes. Maybe <laughs> five point six. Oh, we could do we could do points now, can yeah, we? Well, I think I don't see so why not. We're making your, up these rules. Like, well,
1: yeah, this is our, our show. We can do whatever you like. I
0: prefer this episode of Arrival, and I gave Arrival five, and I, this is one of my favourites. for yes. Many reasons, especially that twist. Yes. Which and- I didn't see coming.
1: No, it's wonderful. It's a very well put together episode. It's intriguing, and it's it's interesting. It's of there's a you know you see a slightly different side to to number six. Yes, you've got McKern as the definitive number two. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know. I'm loath to give a full six as yet, Mm. but uh, it's certainly a high five. So, if you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Podcast Free for All, and if you want to look for us on Twitter. We are Free for All Pod. Free for All Podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton
1: and special thanks to Jemima Dunkar for the artwork. Please see you.